So I want to know, do you have any memories of traveling when you were a child? Uh, maybe you remember uh, going and seeing cousins who were like instant friends because you went to grandma's house and you all got together. Uh, maybe your childhood memories include a lake or a pool or possibly the ocean. Uh, maybe right now, this summer, you formed some great memories with your kids and they're going to remember this summer um, in the years to come. Love that. I wanted to share with you something that sticks with me when I was growing up in El Paso, Texas. So I lived there until I was first grade, and uh, when people came to visit, we'd always cross the border and go to Juarez, Mexico. And while we were there, uh, we would get bottles of Coke from Mexico. We did that before it was cool. We were trendsetters. Um, while we were there in that same store, we saw these bottles of tequila with worms in them. And I remember as a kid, like, why would you ever, you know, and adults are like, yeah, give me that. But anyway, um, and, and I remember um, there was this entertainer. Uh, we'd sit by this cafe, and he was such a good whistler that you would just sit and listen to this man who whistled. That's how good he was. But the capstone for every trip, it seemed, always whenever we went to Juarez, was going and seeing this happen was watching when they blew glass. Have you ever seen this done? It's phenomenal. It's mesmerizing. It draws you in. That you can take clumps of sand, put them in the fire, and now they become moldable like molasses. That you can blow into it for different shapes. That you can put ribbons of glass around a bowl. Um, for us, we'd usually leave with these glass clowns. Now, don't laugh. Uh, this was before clowns were not in vogue. I know they're not in vogue right now, but my grandparents loved clowns. And so we had all these glass clowns from Mexico. It was incredible they could do that. Well, I bring this up because as we get into things today, I want to let you know that's you. Or it was you, or, and I'm not trying to scare you, it will be you. See, we're in this series, and the premise behind it is that for Christians, it's going to get harder, not easier, in this country. As our country is post-Christian, there's going to be a fire that comes uh, because you're going to have to take a stand, and it won't always be easy. I bring this up because I want to let you know what your experience was. I, I'm not sure how your COVID year was, but as a pastor... I saw so many people here this last year. In one moment or another, they were in the fire. And because of that, I want to give you God's perspective about the fire. And, and by the way, welcome if you're watching online and you're not a Christian. Welcome if you're new in this place. We believe there is a good God who sees us through the fire. But a couple thoughts about the fire. One is that you shouldn't be surprised by it. If you are in the Lord, he actually told you the fire would be coming. When Jesus would send out disciples, he warned them that the student wasn't above the master, that if they treated me this way and I died because I followed God, so be ready to be called names. Be ready that it gets harder. Be ready for all of that. In fact, Peter picked up on this. And Peter, the history goes that he was crucified upside down. And he writes to other Christians saying, Dear friends, do not be, can you say that word? Do not be, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. 
You know, it's something I talk about with those who lead the church and on staff and volunteer. I sometimes say, hey, if, if you want to serve here, it's great, it's noble, it's awesome. In eternity, we'll always be thankful for it. But as you serve, here's what you're doing. You're putting a bullseye for the devil on you. It's going to get harder, not easier, because you wanted to serve God. And that's also what Paul wrote. To a young pastor named Timothy, he said, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted, will be put in the fire. And so that's so countercultural to some Christian circles. Because in some Christian circles, there's this idea that if I follow Jesus, everything's going to be hunky-dory. If I believe enough, it's all going to go my way, and I'm going to use God to get all that I want. It's actually the opposite. God says, beware. This is hard. I'm with you. But it's going to be difficult. So don't be surprised by the fire. Second, know that the fire is good because we have a good God. That the only way we become moldable, the only way he can shape us or put ribbons of glass around us is through the fire. Um, Peter said this, he said, Trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise. When God puts us through the fire, it's like he's adding to our character. And there's a part of me that just wonders of the stories we could tell, even in this congregation, of the fiery ordeal we were in, and yet how God forged us in better character, in stronger faith. For something that happened when we were kids, for a loved one who was lost, for a financial circumstance that was really difficult, there, there are testimonies of, of people who've come through on the other side and now have been forged by that fire, have been melded and molded by it. So we know that the fire actually can be for our good. But as we get into things today, what I wanted to discuss with you is how do we make sure to survive the fire? How do we make sure that when the fire comes, when the heat is on, when it's so intense, that I do get molded and I don't melt? Because you also know the stories of others when the fire came, they didn't get molded, they melted. They, they didn't come through better on the other side, unfortunately. So how do you and I, who, who know a fire's coming, continue again to be shaped by God? Well, we're going to learn from three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to learn how they came through a literal fire and out on the other side with the strength of God. And I think it's going to speak a lot to our own lives and circumstances. But something we believe is that God is using his word to speak to us. And in honor of that, I'm just going to invite you to stand if you're comfortable in honor of the, the preaching of the word. So here it is from Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now, let me set it up. The king had just set up a huge statue and said that when the music plays, you need to bow down to that statue. But these three, because of their allegiance to the Lord, did not bow down. They knew that they should worship God alone. 
And so there were tattletales who brought him before the king. And as they talked to the king, this was again their response. King, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter that we're not worshiping another god. Because if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, which was the threat if they didn't worship, the god we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the flaming furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. He asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And if you've been on a campfire this summer, that's incredible. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship any god except their own. From there, he also threatened anyone who spoke against the God of uh, the three that they would be cut up and also thrown into the fire. Uh, he has something with fire. But anyway, um, before you sit down, could you just say in amazement, they didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't even smell like smoke. Please be seated. So we get to talk about our awesome God. You know, this week at Amazing Love was pretty phenomenal. Um, we had just an incredible time because of soccer camp. Uh, we got to welcome uh, 80 kids and had about 30 volunteers. Here's just one picture. And um, I just wanted to say that maybe if you're watching online or here, it was such a privilege to uh, be with your family and to have fun with the kids. Um, it was fun playing soccer. The weather held out. We had a bouncy. We just had a fantastic time. But soccer camp reminded me of what it was like to be a camp counselor back in the day. It was one of my college jobs. And it reminded me what kids are like. Now, you might have kids, or maybe your kids were there. And first of all, they're a joy. But they're also um, ones who operate based on how they feel. For example, um, when they were hot, even regardless of what we said, if they felt hot, they sprayed each other with water, they splashed with water, and they splashed other people with water. That's because they felt hot. When they were playing with silly string, they thought and felt that it was a good idea to use a whole can and get pastor. Operating by Felix. And finally, we noticed at the end of the day, if kids felt tired, 
they'd sit down, <laughs> regardless of what the coach said, they're going to operate by feelings, right? Do you know that about kids? Do you have some kids? They operate by how they feel more than anything else. When's the last time you analyzed the filter through which you do your activity? Why do you do what you do? Well, as you're thinking about it, I wanted to share some motivations that are going on in the story. First, there's King Nebuchadnezzar, who the reason he set up the statue and had other people bow is because he was operating by pride. The same one in an earlier chapter who said, the God of Daniel is the God to worship, had forgotten that. He'd forgotten because he was so filled with the predominance of Babylon, with the gods of Babylon. And the statue, it could have been the king, it could have been the gods of Babylon, we don't know. But he did it because he was so puffed up over who he was. That's one way to operate. But then there were others. There were the tattletales, the other leaders in Babylon, and they operated through envy. When they saw the three who didn't bow down, they had to report it because they were jealous. In fact, Scripture says, um, this is what they reported, there were some Jews who you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Basically, uh, king, you know, those who you put higher than us, we want to let you know what they're doing. Because they're jealous. But then there's the filter of the three. And why did they do what they did? Because they had true wisdom. And do you know what wisdom truly is? Proverbs tells us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, and I could even say the end of wisdom. And so when they went before Nebuchadnezzar, they identified the filter through their activity, and, and basically they said this to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, which is really incredible because they were working for the king. If there was someone they had to defend themselves to, it was the king. It's basically like if you went to your boss and they wanted something for a project, and you said, boss, I don't need to defend myself to you in this matter. <laughs> and he'd say, yeah, actually you do. So what's going on? This was one of those rare moments that in order to follow God, they couldn't follow what human beings were saying. And what Scripture teaches us is that there may become times where we have to obey God rather than the word of men. In fact, one of the best ways to operate is to live for an audience of one. It's something I mentioned before. That you don't live for a boss's approval or a spouse's approval or a child's approval. The only approval you need to live for for the king of kings and let the chips fall where they may. So let me ask you again. What's the filter for your activity? Isn't it true we see people doing things out of pride all the time? They get what they want and they go after what they want because that's what they want and that's what they feel. And so they operate that way. Isn't it true that people operate out of envy? In our comparison culture fueled by Instagram and Facebook, sometimes the only reason we're doing what we're doing is so we can outdo and one-up what other people have done. We need to compete with a sibling or a brother or whatever, and that's another filter for a lot of activity. But what's the best filter? I was reading a commentary that put it this way. Whenever you do something... Can I do this to the glory of God? Not, can I do this and get away with it? 
Not is it legal. No. Can I do it to the glory of God? And if I do it, would he look on me with loving joy or with sorrow? We should be after the glory of God. And if not, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, it's interesting. I, I do believe right now even our culture is talking about how the ways of God are different than the world. Uh, at soccer camp, we were having an interesting discussion with teachers about, you know, the schools and, and what's required in, in schools to be taught and things of that matter. And, 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 and I think that in jobs, the same. There are some things that are being legislated right now where, where Christians who want to honor their bodies are wondering, what, what do I do and, and how do I honor God through this? And um, when it comes to schooling, I, I think sometimes there are going to be parents who say, you know, in order to uh, live for the glory of God, we're, we're going to take our kids and, and put them in a different school or homeschool them. It's interesting that parents can also live for the glory of God and say, but no, they have to stay there and live as lights. And, and I have to stay there in that job or that opportunity to live as a light. But regardless, pursue the glory of God. It's interesting, a lot of that is coming off on how we handle our bodies. I don't know if you had a disagreement in your family or friend circles of how you handle your body and what you're choosing to do. And, and here's the only thing you need to know. Do it for the glory of God. And, and when you answer to an audience of one, whatever that decision, because it could go both ways, it is God-pleasing as you try to steward your body. That's all you have to answer to. And that may lead you to be misunderstood by your friend circles and others. It may lead you to sticking out in circle, certain ways. But if so be it, let it happen as we live again for the glory of God. So do we always do this, though? Is it easy to live only always for the glory of God? Or do we operate by feelings, even though we're older kids? Do we operate ever out of envy or pride? It's why we need someone better than us. And we need someone better than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We find it in this place. We have that better one, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. I want to tell you about him. He was put in a fiery ordeal when he met the devil in the desert. And the devil tempted him by his feelings. After Jesus fasted 40 days, he said, turn the stones into bread and how much he must have been tempted based on his hunger to do that. But he didn't. The devil tempted him with pride and power, saying, bow down to me and you will rule right now. You don't have to go to the cross. But he didn't give in and he lived out what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. He lived out, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. And that fiery ordeal in the desert, it was like a ribbon around him so he could face a bigger fire. So he could go to a garden named Gethsemane. And when he felt like doing anything other than bearing the cross, he still said, Lord, you be praised. Father, your will be done. And the gospel is this. The good news is this. Jesus Christ bore the fires of hell so we never have to. Jesus Christ has forgiven us for all the times we couldn't live for the glory of God alone, for the times we haven't stood up in the right ways, sometimes the wrong ways. He has given us peace and forgiveness once again. Jesus is our hero, the centerpiece 
of this church. But you do got to love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you do got to love the confidence they had in what God could do. As we take a a note, I, I wanted to let you know, you can stand firm in the fire with the fear of God as your filter. As we move on from that point, I wanted to know how many of you struggle with what if and worst case scenario thinking. And again, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to point to someone next to you, but how many of you worry because you're always consumed by what if that happens and worst case scenario thinking? Now, whenever that happens in circles I'm in, I'm kind of snarky, and I usually say, yeah, that could happen, but there could also be a zombie apocalypse. I just go ridiculous with it, because if we're going to worst case scenario it, let's just take it to the nth degree, right? But how helpful is it to live as if a zombie apocalypse was going to happen? To worst case scenario think. I I read a study by Forbes that said actually some of it is helpful. Um, Just a ridiculous culture obsessed with zombies. It said, in the study we found that people who watched a lot of zombie movies and other apocalyptic type films reported feeling more prepared for the pandemic. How about that? Uh, Because maybe you stock supplies, right? Um, I don't know if you had the same bat with nails in it that you'd need for a zombie apocalypse, but anyway. But while there may be some benefit in worst-case scenario thinking, can we agree it's not always helpful? For example, when you hear a noise in the garage, it's not always helpful thinking it's a burglar, right? Your garbage might have just fell over. It's all right. When you smell something in the car, it's not always helpful to think it's going to, like, detonate in 10 seconds, right? It, It burns fuel. Uh, When you have a body ache, don't go to WebMD. And it's not always helpful to think that it's impending doom all the time. But we do it, don't we? We what if, we worst case scenario. And because of this, I just wonder as a pastor, how many times people have what if their activity for God to death? And then they never did it. For example, what if I start being generous to God And I don't have enough. What if I start serving the Lord and it blows up in my face just like it did before? What if I share my faith and people ostracize me, people look down at me? Uh, What if I do that and, and they don't like me anymore? What if I dedicate my life to God and I find out I just wasted a whole bunch of time? What if? You know, it's interesting, the three could have what if And their what if would have been pretty real. They, they could have said, you know, what if by doing this we burn alive? And that was a really real threat. But instead of worst case scenario thinking, they thought, what if God? And what if God comes through? Look at their what if. They said, you know, the God we serve, he's able to deliver us from the fire. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Whether we die today or not, he will overcome. And there's a part of me that says, as Christians, should we not be so bold and stand firm as we say, what if God comes through? For example, what if I start giving to God and instead of less, he gives me more so I can give more and, oh, now I'm a millionaire. Not sure that'll happen, but. What if I share my faith or take a stand and because of that, others are renewed in their faith and take a stand alongside of me? 
What if I serve God and it's through that service that someone else gets to know him and now we're friends now and for eternity? What if I dedicate my whole life to the Lord and in heaven I see how God came through on all that activity? We as Christians should dream big. Not making demands that God would do this for us, but believing he can always come through. What if God does? And what's amazing is we already have some of those stories. In this congregation, we already have those who have gone through financial circumstances and gotten through, have gone through sicknesses and got through, have gone through tragedy and have gotten through because God showed up and was faithful. And that's what we see in the story. The three coming out and they didn't even smell like smoke. But as we continue, it's interesting. It wasn't based on that God would come through that they operated that way. They didn't know what God would do. And to talk about this, um, I want to talk about the importance of staying in your lane. I don't know if you ever had a job where it was important to stay in your lane and only do what you were supposed to do. I had a summer as a drywaller and framer, and it was always interesting to me that you did not do what the others were supposed to do. For example, you did not do any of the electric work. Uh, we didn't even mud and tape. We didn't even pick up the material. Sometimes it'd go as far as if they delivered it 10 feet over and it wasn't in the right place, we wouldn't stop work because it wasn't delivered 10 feet over. You stayed in your lane. You ever been in a kitchen like that where you need someone to stay in their lane? Too many cooks in the kitchen. Who's doing what and whatever? It's interesting and amazing love. We've kind of structured things with our second pastor that there would be different lanes. That Pastor Jeff is going to be our groups and discipleship guy. That I'll be the outreach guy uh, and worship guy. And, and it's, it's good to have lanes. When it comes to the three, the reason I bring this up is they knew their lane. The only thing they needed to concern themselves with, not drywall and framing, but obedience to the Lord. What they didn't need to concern themselves with is how it was going to turn out. That was God's lane. The results were God's lane. The outcome was God's lane. And so I believe we can stand firm in the fire when we obey, even if we don't know the outcome. And i got to tell you that many times operating in faith, it'll be like this. You will not know how it turns out on the other end, but it shouldn't prohibit you from obeying right now. That's where faith comes in, to believe in a God who can work all things out. To close, one of the questions we might have is, where was Daniel? You think about that? Now, it's funny, the Bible is silent on many things and is silent about Daniel, um, some commentators said that maybe he was in such a high place, he wasn't in the public sphere when this was going on, so he didn't have to stand out in that same way, maybe. But, but can I be so bold and say, it wasn't Daniel's test. He would have his own test with the lions. This was the test for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This wasn't Daniel's test. And I bring it up because I think it's so important to know, we might have various fires, but your test is going to be different than my test. My test different than my spouse's test, different than my kid's test. The fire is going to look different. 
In fact, I was reading this commentary, Thriving in Babylon, and he was referring to the man who was tested the most besides Jesus. Do you know who that is? Job. And, and, and this is what he had to say about it. He said, if my test rivals Job's, it'll only because my strength of faith rivals Job's. And, and what he was recognizing is that God in his goodness, just like he does with talents and abilities, apportions to each one what they can handle, what was for them, based on how he's going to guide them and see them through because he's that good. And the reason I bring this up is because some of you are in an intense fire. Or you've been in an intense fire. And you're wondering, God, why are you allowing it to be this strong? And I want to give you hope that there is goodness in the intensity of a fire. In fact, I believe the greater the fire, the greater the refinement. See, it is one thing to go through a a tight month financially. It's another thing to go through bankruptcy and see God get you through that. It's one thing to be so annoyed with all the pet peeves at work. It's another thing where God invites you to forgive something that you thought you'd never have to forgive. It's one thing to have a health scare, maybe a a sickness, a cold, a flu. It's another thing to get through cancer. And when God brings that great fire, The refinement and the intensity of the heat puts everything else in perspective because if you've forgiven that deep hurt, what annoyance can't you put up with? If you've gone through bankruptcy, what tight situation can't you know God will see you through? If you've had these things happen when it comes to our health, how can't he again help you in the future? You have a greater refinement and perspective. But another thing about the intense heat, I believe that the greater the fire, the greater the testimony. You see, the king was so upset that he turned up the heat. It said he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and, and, and said that they, he put naphtha on it, which was oil, and pitch, which is highly flammable. And, and because he did this, the navy seals of the day, they were burned up by the fire. And all of this was to create a more big testimony that they didn't even smell like fire that their hair wasn't singed and the highly flammable clothes they were in not even touched. And there's a part of me that wonders how many times God allows a fire just so that the testimony can be that much greater on the other side. Because the story wouldn't be the same if the heat wasn't risen that high. The glory that God should get wouldn't be as phenomenal if he didn't allow it to happen. May you know God allows the fire, but God can get you through the fire so that we can be refined and give him great testimony. May you ultimately know that we have Jesus Christ who bore the fires of hell so that we will never have to and that you have a good God right now Let me pray for us as we close. So Lord, I know there are some, like the three who are in the fire right now, 
And I pray that with the eyes of faith, they'd have the ability to see you. You are the God who saves us. Help us to embrace any challenge with a reliance on your strength and power. Help us to see your goodness in Jesus Christ, who went through the ultimate fire for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.